Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Wow, we have a powerful show for you this evening. We've got a lot to cover, but I want to start off this way. I've been chomping at the bit, as you know, literally for months to tell you about a project I've been working on. And I've been working on this project into the wee hours in the morning, on the weekends, during vacation time, when I'm not doing my programs or addressing family matters. This has been a project of love for me. Because like you, I'm deeply concerned about where this country is headed. And one of the institutions that is supposed to protect our liberty, that is supposed to protect our Constitution, that is supposed to protect the principles upon which this nation was founded, is the press. Freedom of the press, what does that mean? Where does that come from? Freedom of the press. Why is it important to a republic? Do we have freedom of the press? You and I discuss this almost every day, year after year after year. And so I decided we needed to take a look at this. What do we mean by news? What do we mean by journalism? What do we mean by bias and objectivity? And so, ladies and gentlemen, I took a hard look at this. And that's my new book. And the title is Unfreedom of the Press. And yes, unfreedom is a word. My wife and I were sitting at a uh, table with my editor over breakfast, going over the book that I was writing. And I was a little stumped on the title. I said, I need something that best describes what I'm addressing. Almost the opposite of freedom of the press. And it was my wife, Julie, who said, how about unfreedom of the press? Turns out unfreedom is a word. Like unfree, unfreedom of the press. And so I began to write this book. It was quite a journey over the last year, a year, doing all the research by myself, all the writing by myself. That's what I do. It takes an enormous amount of time away from my family and uses up the weekends and the nights. Why? Because I think we're on an urgent mission, ladies and gentlemen, to save our republic. To save our republic. I'm going to read to you the brief introduction to the book. I'm not going to read any other part of the book. 
I'll give you a brief outline of what the book is about. We're not going to do this all day. But I want to strongly suggest to you that you are going to find this book fascinating and compelling and an easy read, easy to digest, even though it's got crucially important information. Information about why the media are the way the media are. Where does this come from? Provable statistics, although I'm not into statistics, but just a few, that demonstrate that the media are exactly what we think they are. Their ideology, where does it come from? We'll have a little history lesson in the book. It's not a history book. But what was the press before the revolution, during the revolution, after the revolution? There was a party press where newspapers would align themselves with one party or another, one cause or another, one candidate or another. They were quite transparent about it. They were open and honest about it. What is news? Propaganda as news. Pseudo-events as news. Spend an entire chapter addressing the New York Times. It's the paper of record, don't you know? All the news that's fit to print. And since every newsroom in America treats it as its actual Bible, it needed to be examined and examined very, very carefully. And what the New York Times did and has done in the last hundred years, particularly in two instances, is unconscionable. And you're going to learn the dirty details. We're going to get into the weeds. In fact, that chapter is called The New York Times Betrays Millions. Millions. I do something else in this book which might be unexpected. The president is accused of being like a dictator because he talks about various press outlets and sometimes the press generally is the enemy of the people. And you'll hear that's dictatorial. It's like Stalin. But you need to know the rest of the story. I've touched on it from time to time, but we'll dive into it in the book. You need to know the story about the Sedition Act and John Adams. You need to know the story about Abraham Lincoln. Two men I enormously admire. Woodrow Wilson. Franklin Roosevelt. JFK. LBJ. You need to know about their propaganda campaigns and their censorship campaigns. You need to know in certain instances how they shut down newspapers. How they went after telegraph companies. You need to know about all these things in order to understand that what the media are doing to and saying about the current occupant of the White House is a disgrace. And you need to know what the media covered up when it came to pass Democrat presidents and the double standards that they're applying to this president when it comes to character. Yes, character. You will learn an enormous amount about how the IRS has been used over the last more than half a century, how the FBI has been used. These aren't conspiracies. These are facts, historical facts, to give you some context about the current media. 
There will be fascinating stories in this book for you. Stories I was not even aware of. When you write a book like this, it's a journey. And then we will discuss what are the standards of the media. We'll spend some time on it in this book. I do. What are the standards of the modern newsroom, the modern journalist, as opposed to the editorial pages? I really think you're going to find this book compelling and fascinating. I think once you start it, you won't be able to put it down. I really believe that. I really do. And I must tell you, it has been my favorite book to write. I've written seven books before this. This is number eight. In fact, I would tell you by far it's my favorite book to write. And the timing is propitious. You don't start a book 12 months ago and say, hey, I'm timing this for the release of the Mueller report or aspects of it, which show the media to be exactly as you and I have always felt it, it to be. It just happened to turn out that way. But I want to strongly encourage you, if in the past you have not pre-ordered a book, to do so now. Because time is of the essence. And as soon as this book comes out, I want you to have a copy of it, and I want us to hit the ground running. Or we're going to lose this country. We're going to lose this republic. Not that buying my book will save it, but we need to have more and more people who are fully informed and have digested the facts. in order that we can do what we need to do. And I don't just rearrange stories, rearrange statistics, rearrange these things, you know, to fill up uh, a book. There's a lot of really incredible information, historical information, present-day information. I fully expect this book will be attacked. I fully expect I will be attacked, as I was two years ago when I uncovered the beginnings of what would become the Obama administration spying on the Trump campaign and the Trump presidency. And I am prepared to fight it with you behind me. This book is about 250 pages long, which is about as long as all my books are, but it has something that you need to know. Over 400 endnotes. Typically, I'll have over 200, over 400 endnotes. There'll be no disputing the facts when you read this book. No disputing the facts at all. There's a lot of other books out there. There will be a lot of other books out there when mine is released. I can tell you, given the one chapter in the New York Times, the New York Times is going to do everything humanly possible to sink this book. It will play with its list to try and make sure that you, who purchased the book, do not propel it to number one. I assure you that's what they're going to try to do. So I need to do everything I can, convince as many of you as I can, to pre-order the book now. It's up to you. When we come back after the break, I will read you the introduction. It won't be long. It's a short introduction. A lot of my books don't have an introduction, but I felt one was necessary here. Short and sweet. I am blessed to have you out there. I really am. As a radio audience, as a TV audience, and as a reading audience. And let me suggest to you, this book can open a lot of eyes. You may have a member of your family 
who's not really engaged. You have, may have a member of your family who's kind of liberal. You may have a member of your family who's a Democrat, whatever. This may, in fact, change the way they view the world. Because what we're talking about here, ladies and gentlemen, is a relatively few companies and a relatively few newsrooms and a relatively few people who self-identify as journalists who come through your screen every morning and every night, who write to you every morning, who come to you through the microphone or radio every day, every night to try and influence your mind, to try and influence your politics, to try and influence your way of life. Who are these people? What are they up to? How does this affect you and the future of our country? All of this has been tackled in the book and will be tackled once the book is released on May 21st, where millions and millions of you who listen you will become the army for truth. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. The book is called Unfreedom of the Press. You can go to Amazon.com. You can go to Barnes & Noble. sites. all the major retailers you can buy online now. It's not in retail stores until May 21st. We'll have a limited book signing. I will let you know the various places we're going. Obviously, I will go to the Reagan Library. We don't have a date yet there, so I wouldn't jump into that yet. But um, let me start reading you the introduction. Unfreedom of the press is about how those entrusted with news reporting in the modern media are destroying freedom of the press from within. Not government oppression or suppression, not President Donald Trump's finger pointing, but present day newsrooms and journalists. Indeed, social activism, progressive groupthink, Democratic Party partisanship, opinion and propaganda passed off as news, the staging of pseudo events, self censorship, Biased by omission and outright falsehoods are too often substituting for old-fashioned objective fact-finding and news reporting. A self-perpetuating and reinforcing mindset. They have replaced independent and impartial thinking, and the American people know it. Thus, the credibility of the mass media has never been lower. This book could easily have been ten times its current length, but that would make it unreadable for most. 
Nonetheless, much ground is covered and research undertaken, and many authors and scholars consulted. As the history of the American press and the evidence of their decades-long demise are carefully examined. From the early newspapers and pamphlets promoting the principles set forth in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, the subsequent party press and the transparent allegiance to one party or the other, to the progressive movement and the progressive approach of so-called professional reporting, and now the ideologically driven advocacy press of today. The purpose of unfreedom of the press is to jumpstart a long overdue and hopefully productive dialogue among the American citizenry on how best to deal with the complicated and complex issue of the media's collapsing role as a bulwark of liberty, the civil society, and republicanism. Unlike the early patriot press, today's newsrooms and journalists are mostly hostile to America's founding principles, traditions, and institutions. They do not promote free speech and press freedom, despite their self-serving claims. Indeed, they serve as societal filters attempting to enforce uniformity of thought and social and political activism centered around the progressive ideology and agenda. Issues, events, groups, and individuals that do not fit the narrative are dismissed and diminished. Those that do fit the narrative are elevated and celebrated. Of course, this paradigm greatly influences the culture, the government, and the national psyche. It defines a media-created reality, whether or not it has a basis in true reality, around which individuals organize their thoughts, beliefs, and in some cases, their lives. Yet there is mystery and opacity that surrounds all of it. And if one dares to question or criticize the motives and work product of this enterprise or aspects of it, that is, the reporting by one or more newsrooms, the response is often knee-jerk and emotionally charged, with the inquirer critic portrayed as hostile to press freedom and the collective media circling the wagons around themselves. It bears remembering that the purpose of a free press, like the purpose of free speech, is to nurture the mind, communicate ideas, challenge ideology, share notions, inspire creativity, advocate and reinforce America's founding principles, that is, to contribute to a vigorous, productive, healthy, and happy individual and well-functioning civil society and republic. Moreover, the media are to expose official actions aimed at squelching speech and communication. But when the media function as a propaganda tool for a single political party and ideology, they not only destroy their own purpose, but they threaten the existence of a free republic. It is surely not for the government to control the press, and yet the press are not capable of policing themselves. We must remember, we are not merely observers, we are the citizenry. We, the people, for whom this nation was established and for whom it was exist. It exists. Well, I'm not going to be able to finish it, but you get the drift. This may be the most important book I've ever written, given the times we live in, ladies and gentlemen. You can go to Amazon.com, any major bookstore, a uh, book chain with any major linkage. We'll be right back. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound 
to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. Where Americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. There are little tricks that some authors use on radio and TV to try and convince you that you need to get their book. They'll do things like say, I may not write another book, or that this is my last book, or that this will be a collector's item. It won't be a collector's item. They print hundreds of thousands of them. If you're going to make an investment, make it somewhere else. And if somebody tells you they're not going to write another book, or they haven't written a book for 10 or 20 years, you know what that means? They never wrote a book. The books are ghost-written or they're slapped together and somebody's name is thrown and pictures thrown on the cover. I don't play games. I'll write more books if I want to write more books. But this book is different, different than I think any other book that's been written about the press. I guarantee that. And as a matter of fact, it's different than any other book that I've written. It's probably closest to liberty and tyranny, quite frankly. If I had to call it anything, it would be another chapter of Liberty and Tyranny, another volume of Liberty and Tyranny, except it focuses like a laser on freedom of the press. You hear this phrase, freedom of the press. What we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, is freedom. Freedom. And when you read this book, you're going to learn some very, very interesting things, as I did along the journey of writing this book. What was the press like before the American Revolution? What kind of press was there? How did information get around? It was a relatively large territory, these different colonies and so forth. How did people share information? What role did the press play in the American Revolution? What role did the press play after the American Revolution? What kind of press was there after the Constitution was adopted? Why was the First Amendment adopted? And we're not going to get bogged down in all that, but I thought it was important to briefly address it so we have a foundation, we have a baseline from which to go forward. You will know more about the press than the press knows about the press. You will see the abuse of power that has taken place. And I suspect, I suspect that you'll be very much compelled by what you read in this book. It's very odd. I can talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. But it'll be up to you to make the decision whether you want to acquire a copy and read it. And as I say, I really think it's important that we hit the ground running here, given what Congress is doing, what they're about to do to the President of the United States with their hearings and so forth. If you've had your stomach full of propaganda and lies and dishonesty and progressivism, ideology, projected onto you by arrogant, relatively unintelligent people, well, then this book's for you. I feel that very, very strongly. 
There's a piece here in the Washington Post by Paul Farhi. Paul Farhi writes about the media, among other things, for the Washington Post. Now, I'll tell you what's interesting. I'm the third biggest radio host in America with the worst time slot in America. With the worst time slot in America for a radio host who has to compete against sports, you know, family activities, dinner, and all the rest of it. And yet I'm still the third largest radio host in America. Not because of me, because of you. Because of you. Do you know this guy, Farhi, who is a media reporter, has never even interviewed me. He's never even talked to me. This is exactly what I mean. I'm not, I'm not beating my chest. I'm saying they can do things by omission, by self-censorship, in order to advance an agenda. Now, he writes a piece here the other day. Conclusion of Mueller probe raises new a new criticisms of coverage. And I'll cut through the uh, beginning of it. He says, among the theories commentators advanced was one by New York Magazine writer Jonathan Chayette. Now, Chayette is a leftist who speculated in a cover story in July about whether the dark crevices of the Russia scandal were not just a little deeper, but a lot deeper. He suggested that it would be dangerous not to consider the possibility that the then upcoming summit between Trump and Russian President Putin is less a negotiation between two heads of state than a meeting between a Russian intelligence asset and his handler. It's a writer for New York Magazine. In a statement last Sunday night, Chiet stood by his article. He said that story relied on reports and credible public sources. None of those reports have been refuted. If the full Mueller report does show that media reports on Trump's ties to Russia were wrong, I would absolutely amend, correct, or withdraw commentary I've written on this basis. So he's a stooge. He's an ideologue. Says he relied on news reports. He did. But he relied on news reports he wanted to rely on. He cherry-picked. How about the New York Times, their top editor, by the name of Dean Baquette? I'm comfortable with our co- uh, coverage, said New York Times top editor, Dean Baquette. It's never our job to determine illegality, but to expose the actions of people in power. And that's what we and others have done and will continue to do. He noted that Attorney General Barr's letter summarizing Mueller's findings points out that the actions that warranted an obstruction inquiry were, quote, the subject of public reporting, a fact that's to the credit of the media. So he sounds like what? A Democrat mouthpiece. Because he is. He is a Democrat mouthpiece. Now, they're not circumspect at all. So they have no intention of policing their own activities. They have no intention of policing these so-called journalists in their so-called newsrooms. None. Why? Because they're ideologues, that's why. They're activists. In fact, revelations by the New York Times and the Washington Post about contacts between Russian agents and Trump's campaign advisors in 2016 helped prompt the inquiry that the special counsel took over in May 2017. The two newspapers shared a Pulitzer Prize for their reporting on the issue that year. A Pulitzer Prize on something that never occurred. On something that never occurred. 
You're going to learn when you read this book that the New York Times has a lot of Pulitzer Prizes. Its writers do too. You're going to learn about a gentleman by the name of Walter Durante, who more than 100 years ago, I guess it's a little less than 100 years ago, about 90 years ago, he was the uh, New York Times correspondent in Russia for 12 years. He was the senior American correspondent in Russia. And he was controlled by Joseph Stalin. He was sympathetic to the communist revolution and he was sympathetic to a genocidal murder, even though he knew he was a genocidal murder. And you're going to learn in some detail how Walter Durante helped cover up one of Stalin's most grotesque acts of genocide, the starvation of the people of the Ukraine. And I'm not going to get into in great detail here, but he knew about it. And he lied to the American people. The New York Times lied to the American people. Ten million people died when Stalin starved them to death. Ten million people died. Oh, and he got a Pulitzer Prize, too. He got a Pulitzer Prize, too. Now, Baquette, who is the New York Times top editor, noted Sunday... On Russia interference, we and others wrote extensively about Russia's attempt to influence the election, both through hacking and direct approaches by Russians to people around candidate Trump. Those stories were true. And nothing has happened to call into question the reporting about Donald Trump's financial history or the use of his charity or any of the other fine investigative reporting over the past three years. The New York Times has had to make numerous corrections, ladies and gentlemen. Numerous correct. So he's a propagandist right now. What were the numerous extensive connections between Donald Trump and the Russian government? Mr. Mueller and his band of liberal Democrat donors, if they could approve that, improve the effect on the election, they would have said so. I don't know how many subpoenas the New York Times issued. I don't know how many wiretaps the New York Times entered into. I don't know how many witnesses they interviewed. They praise Mueller and that they reject his findings on collusion. Isn't that interesting? The cable news networks, he writes, particularly CNN and MSNBC, have added hundreds of hours of discussion about the topic, too. The story undoubtedly was an important factor in shaping voters' perceptions before the 28 midterm election, in which Democrats won control of the House. And you see, ladies and gentlemen, that's because the media not only roots for the Democrat Party, it's a crucial element of the Democrat Party. More on that in the book and on another day. So the conclusion of this inquiry of whether the media could do better? You think the media is going to correct itself? You think the media is going to correct itself? Well, let me ask you a question. How many of these legal analysts have been fired for lying or speculating about what would happen in the Mueller report on any of the cable channels? How many of them said that Donald Trump may have been secretly indicted and that indictment would be under seal. Many of them. How many of these legal analysts said the, the evidence for collusion is overwhelming? 
How many of them said before I said a president cannot be indicted that the president might be indicted? I hear Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz, who I admire greatly, say he was right in every respect of this. No, you weren't, Professor. You had said at one point that the president could be indicted. You had said at one point that the president could be subpoenaed and brought before a grand jury. I remember because I corrected you on the air. Not face-to-face. We never seem to appear at the same time. I'm just pointing out, ladies and gentlemen, that we can walk through this like real journalists looking at this. You know, I can go to sleep at night knowing that I've told you what I believe, that I don't live a pretend life. I don't pretend to be a plumber when I go to the bathroom, and I don't pretend to be a newsman when I give my opinion. The opposite cannot be true or is not true when it comes to the media. They turn opinion, analysis, interpretation into news. And bald-faced lies, too. That's why you despise them. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Could you explain the key differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? Well, I have good news for you. It's not too late to learn no matter how busy you are or how long it's been since you've been in college or high school. And you can do it for free. Because my friends at Hillsdale College, as a service to our country, have free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches us how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free. And you can learn whenever you like. Visit online.hillsdale.edu right now. That's online.hillsdale.edu. Join right now and you'll be on your way to a rich, meaningful education. Again, that's online.hillsdale.edu. By the way, you see when, uh, when journalists decide to step out and actually report on their own team and expose them to you, the consumer of news, whether it's Bernard Goldberg or Cheryl Atkinson or Laura Logan, you see what happens to them, right? They are pigeonholed. They are dismissed. Uh, they are worse. They are trashed. They are smeared. Because it's almost like a, uh, a mob family. And you're not allowed to step out. There is a uniformity of view and a conformity of conduct. And in order to get into this relatively closed circle of pseudo-journalists and pseudo-newsrooms, you've got to go along to get along, pretty much. And we'll, we get into that in the book, too. That fellow talks fast. I should have said AmericanFinancing.net. AmericanFinancing.net. You really ought to check them out. We've checked them out, and they're really a top-notch organization. So if you have a mortgage, or you're getting a mortgage, check out AmericanFinancing.net or give them a call, 888-900-1828. All right, Mr. Producer, let's see. Let's take a call here if I can pull up my call screen. Whoa, look at that. It's working. What happened? What happened? 
Emil, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hey, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I just wanted to tell you that Congress needs to be re-educated. You know, you write your brilliant books, but Maxine Waters is never going to read it. Neither is well, she's uh, not anyone I care about. You have to understand, in American history, through good times and bad, there have always been people like Maxine Waters. You don't go to the lowest denominator, and I'd even say common denominator, and try and influence that person. She's a kook. She's an ideologue. But there's... I, I, but there's millions of people out there who can be persuaded. Go ahead. But, you know, the thing is, Maxine Waters has power, and we need to take away these powers from these powers. All right, I give up. Forget it. Don't buy the book. I'm going to go off radio. I'm not going to do TV anymore. Forget it, ladies and gentlemen. The powerful win, and we lose. Is that where you're going with this? No, not at all. I think we could defeat him. Newt Gingrich showed us the way with the contract with America. You remember what they did to him? He hit a nerve, Mark, because he tried to put government back for the people. All right. I appreciate your call. I'm not exactly sure what the point is. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Man, we have a lot to get to, so let's get going. Joe Scarborough on the morning, Joe. Joe Scarborough, a long time ago, decided to go for the money. He couldn't make it on conservative talk radio with his sidekick, Mika, now his wife. He couldn't make it. Um, Fox had no interest in him, so he hates Fox because Fox wouldn't give him a show. Now he's on MSNBC. Having had his head so far up the president's backside when the president was running to be president... Uh, he apparently got uh, upset with the president over a personal matter and uh, has turned on the president. And so now the favorite host for the favorite show of the North Korean generals, true story, is out there throwing bombs, shooting paper clips, spitting spitballs with his tiny little audience. And here he is. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, here's something you need to understand. The rest of the media hate Fox. Now, they don't hate all of Fox. They hate the commentators on Fox. They hate the, the, the individuals on Fox who give them big ratings. And why is that? Because they demand uniformity. It's groupthink. They demand it. And you've got, a, you've got these hosts on Fox who refuse to buckle. And so they try to boycott them. They try to destroy them. They investigate them. Never seen anything like this, have you? Now, Fox represents a tiny percentage of the media out there. It's a tiny percentage. But they talk about them all the time. So here's Scarborough. That is the morning schmo. Cut to go. I think what's happening here is that Trump and his and his people are trying to discredit the entire canon of Russia-related reporting. Right. Irrespective of... Cl- by the, by no. the, and by the way, crack. if you watched last night, you would heard, you've heard a lot of those clowns actually suggest that 
any Russian interference with the 2016 campaign. Right. Was, uh, was, let's, was, let's, uh, let's stop. Because if Scarborough is anything, he is low IQ. I was on one of those shows, the Hannity show last night. I didn't hear a single person on that show say the Russians didn't interfere with our election. Nor did I hear a single person on the morning Schmo show say that when the Russians did interfere with our election, Barack Obama was president. John Brennan, a good friend of the Scarboroughs, was head of the CIA. James Comey, a good friend of the Scarboroughs, was head of the FBI. James Clapper, a good friend of the Scarboroughs, was head of national intelligence. Loretta Lynch was the attorney general. In other words, all the instrumentalities of law enforcement and intelligence were controlled by the Obama administration when the Russians interfered. And Scarborough and the other losers and frauds, they don't really care about Russian interference. If they did, they would ask, where the hell is Barack Obama? Where is Barack Obama? How is it that he's not questioned? How is it that he can go silent? How is it that the special prosecutor didn't ask him questions? What did Barack Obama know and when did he know it? You won't hear that from Mr. and Mrs. Scarborough or any of the others in the media. But it'll attack Fox. He watched all the clowns on Fox. Why didn't he watch all the clowns on MSNBC? There's more. Cut three. Go. So I'm just curious. What was the media supposed to do? First of all, isn't he annoying? Always sounds like a four-year-old. I want the candy, Daddy. Mommy, I want candy. All right, take it from the top. Cut three. Go. I'm just curious. What was the media supposed to do when Donald Trump lied about meetings with Russians? The vice president lied. What what uh, meetings with Russians did Donald Trump lie about? I don't understand. What's the media supposed to do? How about tell the truth, you fool? The media has been pushing this narrative. Donald Trump lied about meeting with the Russians. He lied. Go ahead. Campaign meetings with Russia. The attorney general lied. There were not campaign meetings with Russia. There was one meeting with some Russians, which amounted to nothing. There wasn't meetings with Russia. The attorney general lied about meetings with Russians. No, he didn't. He forgot one meeting with the ambassador from Russia. And it wasn't even a meeting. They passed each other at the Republican convention or something of that sort. Look how he spins the the fool. And they lied about it. If they had lied about it, ladies and gentlemen, do you think if the Attorney General had lied about meetings with Russians that he wouldn't have been charged? Do you think if the President of the United States lied about meetings with Russians... That they wouldn't have said so? That Jared Kushner lied about meetings with Russians? Do you think he wouldn't have been indicted? Joe Scarborough does this because he's an actor. A very poor actor. Very unattractive actor. He's a drama queen. This is what you have to say on MSNBC and CNN in order to attract 
even a rather insignificantly sized off, uh, uh, audience. This is what you have to do. You got to dance this dance. Go ahead. Meetings with Russians. Jared Kushner lied about meeting with Russians. George Papadopoulos lied about meeting with Russians. I could go on and on. I didn't think that George Papadopoulos was charged about lying about meetings with Russians. I thought it involved the ambassador of Australia or some such sort. Go ahead. I won't. I'll just say the media did a pretty damn good job. The media did a pretty damn good job, ladies and gentlemen. And this is how... You not only survive, but you progress in the world of MSNBC and CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post. This is how they pat you on the back. This is your social circle. You did a pretty damn good job. They got collusion wrong in a thousand different ways, in a thousand different reports. And by the way, in doing so, real news was ignored. You happen to know the Russians just landed a couple of planes filled with troops in Venezuela? Did anybody tell you that? Go ahead. It's job. And I know, I understand, we'll I understand, do Donald. The media did its job and will continue to do its job. Their spokesman, Mika Brzezinski. Is that what you think, folks? The media did its job? This is why the Democrat Party will continue and just continue and continue because they're not only given cover by the press. They are pushed by the press. They are prodded. The press demands controversy. It demands scandal, even when there isn't any. It's a burlesque show, the morning uh, Joe. It's a burlesque show. Surprised they didn't bring Avenatti back or Stormy Daniels back. And they could all do the uh, Rockette dance right across the stage here at MSNBC. Now my turn. Here's what I said last night on Hannity. And by the way, Hannity had a whole lot of guests. Really good guests. I don't know why I was there exactly. I wasn't needed. But I'm asked and I try to do what I'm supposed to do. And here was my three-minute take. Cut one, go. Now with the collusion narrative crashing uh, to its death, will the media ever take accountability for their failures, their outright lies? Somebody who's also been in the forefront, me, Rush, Mark, and, and our ensemble cast here, a lot of us lo- alone on the edge as usual. Mark Levin, host of Life, Liberty, Levin. Mark, we don't have as much time as usual. You go. Well, you have collusion. You have collusion between the Democrat Party, the media, and the Obama administration. Hillary Clinton, she's been silent for three or four days, hasn't she? Barack Obama's been silent throughout all this, hasn't he? For all the talk of the Democrats who run these committees, they don't want to talk to Hillary Clinton. They don't want to talk to Barack Obama. They want transparency. I want transparency. Here's the impeachment clause of the Constitution. Treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. I can name people who've committed treason other high crimes and misdemeanors. He's not in the White House. They're members of Congress. We have a big problem in this country. The Democrat Party is not a pro-American party. They lost an election. They had like a third world party. They want to destroy the president and the presidency. Listen to their candidates. Anti-American, anti-capitalism, anti-liberty, anti-security, anti-immigration. 
This is the problem. And the media is the mouthpiece. Now, you want to talk about obstruction? I want to hit this quickly in this report. Did Bob Mueller subpoena the president of the United States to appear before a grand jury over obstruction? No, he didn't. Did Bob Mueller go into any court in this country to try and adjudicate the issue of obstruction? No, he didn't. I keep hearing it said, you either charge or you don't. He didn't. That's the point. He didn't charge an obstruction because there was no obstruction. What the hell did the president of the United States do? He fired Comey, who was a bad guy, a leaker, replaced him with a bureaucrat. They spent whatever money they wanted to spend. They went wherever they wanted to go. They went all over the world. They spent all the time in the world. There was, in fact, no obstruction and no collusion. But it is time to focus on the Democrats in the House. It is time to focus on the media and the Hillary campaign, the DNC, Barack Obama. This was Barack Obama's government that did all this. When the Russians were interfering with our election, they were interfering with our election when Comey was the FBI director, when Clapper was the head of intelligence, when Brennan was the head of the CIA, when Loretta Lynch was head of the Department of Justice. They went after the candidate of the opposition party. They put spies in his campaign. They abused the FISA court system. They used opposition research. This country doesn't belong to Adam Schiff and Nadler and Pelosi. Big deal. They got one half of one third of the government. It belongs to us. And you in the free press, you are destroying the free press. This will be noted in history. What a bunch of loathsome, ideological mouthpieces you are for the tyranny that is the Democrat Party. I don't have anything else to say. According to Fox News, Republicans calling for Adam Schiff to resign as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. I hope this is true. This man shouldn't head anything except to the exits. Republicans are stepping up calls for House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff to resign or give up his committee post for repeatedly pushing claims of collusion between Trump's 16 campaign and Russian operatives. I just saw during the break this guy Swalwell, left-wing kook Democrat from California, on the Martha McCollum show. And he's on Fox all the time. Why? Is he particularly smart? No, he's particularly stupid. He's a propagandist. And he says to Martha, well, what was it in the dossier that wasn't true? All of it. Well, give me specifics. He says, give me specifics. Well, there's a lord bedroom scene there in the hotel. That was false. Well, what else? Well, Michael Cohen never went to Prague. Well, what else? What do you mean, what else? The man confessed that he got most of his information off the Internet. Well, what else? This is what you get. Oh, and you believe Michael Cohen now? That's interesting. Well, if you're going to believe him on Prague, you should be... It wasn't believing Michael Cohen. It was investigated and found not to be the case. So these are the mentally disturbed individuals who managed to get elected to the House of Representatives. And this is what you're dealing with. This is what you're dealing with. They have no heart. They have no ability to reason. They are Soviet-style Democrats. Capital D Democrat. That's what they are. Now, Mr. Schiff 
is, you know, they, they attack Joe McCarthy for chasing communists. And I've always kind of liked Joseph McCarthy. But what about Adam Schiff for chasing Russians? What about Adam Schiff? Joe McCarthy was chasing Reds. Adam Schiff is, in many respects, a Red. And yet he's chasing Russians. Why? Because the ends justify the means. There's enough thousand reasons why Mr. Schiff should not be heading a committee like this, and he ought to resign. And what I would encourage the Republicans to do, they're in the minority on these committees, these six committees. They have six committees conducting investigations. I want the American people to know this. You're concerned about the state of your country. You're concerned that the economy remains strong. You're concerned about illegal immigration that's overwhelming your local communities. You're concerned about hundreds of different things going on in your country. And I want you to know the Democrats are not. They could give a damn. All the Democrats want is power. And to do what? You've heard their candidates so far to destroy the Constitution, to destroy the economy, and to destroy the nation state. So you've heard it all. So all these things going on in the country that Congress is supposed to be paying attention to, they're not paying attention to anything. When you have six committees of Congress that have as their purpose to destroy the President of the United States and have as their purpose to regain power in the Senate and in the presidency, they're not serving the American people. This is going to backfire. This, along with the radicals who are running for the nomination for president in the Democrat Party. The House of Representatives of the Democrats have absolutely nothing to show. Nothing in the early months. Nothing to show for their election. You have about 35 to 40 of them newly elected who ran as moderate Democrats in Republican or Purple Districts. They have revealed themselves, ladies and gentlemen. They are Svengali's. They may wear the apparel of a moderate, but the truth is, they're out of the closet. Irvine, California, Huntington Beach, California, all through Orange County, California, every one of those Democrats who ran as a Republican light or a moderate Democrat, they're frauds, absolute frauds. All over the country, you can see these frauds. Where are the moderate Democrats? Who are they? Do they speak out? Are they speaking out now? No. It's the Schiffs and the Nadlers. The Swalwells. The Clyburns. These are the mouthpieces of the modern Democrat Party. Not to mention Omar and Talib and Aak. They've done nothing for the American people, and they're not going to do anything for the American people. Nothing. They serve because they want power, and that's the only reason they serve. You can't tell me one thing that they plan to do or they're proposing that would help the American people. Destroying our health care system does not help the American people. It empowers the Democrats. Destroying our capitalist system does not empower the people. It centralizes the power of government and helps the Democrats. Adam Schiff ought to resign. And on these committees, the Democrats, excuse me, the Republicans should demand it. They should demand testimony. 
from Obama. They should demand testimony from Hillary. I'll be right back. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. It's true that Mark Levin is the fastest growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. We love Hillsdale College here, don't we? Boy, I'll tell you, it's a very special place. Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Can you explain the differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? I've got good news for you. It's not too late to learn, no matter how busy you are or how long you, you've been at a high school or college. And you can do it absolutely free. Hillsdale College is a service to our country. has free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free, and you can start learning whenever you like. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. This is also something you should do for your children. Those of you who have children who are going to public schools, you really should do this and show them. Show them the truth. LevinforHillsdale.com, and your kids will get a rich and meaningful education. The registration page featuring these free online courses will only be up for a few weeks. So stop wishing, start learning. Register today for free at LevinforHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I know you can get down at times, but I don't want you to get down. Here's some good news. You want to hear some good news? So they brought the president's veto to a vote to override in the House of Representatives, and it failed. So both houses would have to override the president's veto. It failed in the House, which means it's over. They would have failed in the Senate, too. And here's how our friends at Right Scoop put it, starting with the Mueller report, Trump is clearly having a great news week. First, he's vindicated. Then word comes down that $1 billion has been transferred from Congress so he can put it to use building the wall. Everything just seems to be going his way, they write. And Michael Avenatti getting arrested was like icing on the cake. 
Well, today the House made an attempt to override Trump's veto on their disapproval resolution of his national emergency, and it failed by almost 40 votes. Now, the fails to override the uh, veto of the bill to terminate the national emergency for the wall, the vote was 248 to 181. So veto overrides need two-thirds of the vote. So with 429 voting, they needed 286 yeas to override the president's veto. That would be two-thirds. So they were 38 votes short. But this was expected all along, wasn't it? Short of a bunch of Republicans coming over to join Democrats, it was an impossible task. But 14 Republicans did join Democrats. All Democrats voted yes to override the veto and end national emergency, uh, the president's. And I want all you people who voted for Democrats, who claim to be moderates, in these Republican and purple districts, I want you to remember that. You're a member voted to keep the borders open. Now, here are the 14 Republicans who did the same thing, pretending that this was a complicated constitutional issue, in my view. Justin Amash, Michigan. Brian Fitzpatrick, Pennsylvania. Mike Gallagher, Wisconsin. Jamie Harara Butler, Washington State. William Hurd, Texas. John Katko, New York. Thomas Massey, Kentucky. Kathy McMorris Rogers, Washington State. Dusty Johnson, South Dakota. Tom Rooney, Florida. Jim Sensenbrenner, Wisconsin. Elise Stefanik, she's a lib, New York. Fred Upton, Michigan, he's a rhino. Greg Walden, Oregon, he's a rhino. They could probably use a few Republican uh, primary challenges. I know Amash and Massey, I'm sure they claim that they were standing up for separation of powers and the authority of Congress. But they are very, very misguided on this. Very misguided, which is why the vast majority of those in the Freedom Caucus did not vote with them. There are a few individuals in the House of Representatives really the guide stars of conservatism. I'm going to name a few. There are others, too. But Chip Roy, newly elected from Texas. Jim Jordan of Ohio. And uh, others. Mark Masters of... uh, Mark Meadows, rather. North Carolina. Our friend in... uh, what about the Huntsville, Alabama? Oh, names, names. But you know what I mean. There are more. There are more. But the overwhelming majority of the Freedom Caucus didn't vote with those 14. And several of those 14 are liberals. It's a shame, isn't it? But still, the good news is it was defeated in the House of Representatives. And it would have been defeated in the Senate, too where you had Susan Collins voting against it and Murkowski voting against it because they said they wanted to uphold the Constitution. Really? Since when? Since when? Now, I want to get into a few other areas, ladies and gentlemen. We've talked about uh, in the past this national voting effort to overturn the Electoral College and more and more states are joining what's called this this compact where they want to get around the Electoral College without amending the Constitution of the United States. Well, people are wondering, who's funding this movement? Over at the Daily Signal, 
DailySignal.com, who is funding this movement? The nonprofit organization building a coalition of states that favor choosing the president by popular vote promotes itself as nonpartisan, but it's financed by millions of dollars from left-leaning groups. Some of the leaders of the movement are prominent Republicans, and most of the funding for the nonprofit National Popular Vote, Inc., has come from a wealthy Democrat and a billionaire independent. But many large liberal organizations back the movement. According to the Capital Research Center, a conservative think tank, great group, it gathered donor information on National Popular Vote, Inc. using a commercial database. The Jennifer and Jonathan Allen Soros Foundation, for example, gave $1 million to the nonprofit in 2011. This liberal left group continued to push their radical agenda against American values. We have Jonathan Soros. He's 49. He's George Soros' son. And he heads an investment firm. Head fund manager known for financing left-leaning causes, his father is, around the world. Although the Soros Foundation does not publicly list contact information, the Daily Signal sought comment through the George Soros-backed Open Society Foundation. The Stephen M. Silberstein Foundation made donations totaling a million dollars to National Popular Vote, Inc., from 2008 to 2012, according to the most recent data. And that foundation gave 350000 in 2008, 250000 in 2009, 250000 in 2010, and 150000 in 2012. The Daily Signal unsuccessfully sought comment from the Silverstein Foundation. In 2015, an article in Inside Philanthropy reported nearly every major progressive policy and advocacy group in the U.S., has received money from the Silverstein Foundation in recent years. Interesting, isn't it? So, a little bit of history. Trump is the fifth president in American history to win the Electoral College and lose the popular vote. And although Trump defeated Hillary Clinton by 304 to 227, that's pretty much a landslide when it comes to the Electoral College. Clinton rolled up about 2.9 million more votes in big states like New York and California. So she runs up the vote in big blue populist states, and then they say, see, we won the popular election. And yet if you put California aside, she lost the popular election. This not, the nonprofit is lobbying states to adopt what is called, and we've talked about this, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. And that compact requires a member state to cast its electoral votes for the winner of the national popular vote, regardless of which presidential candidate wins the state. So they're really voting against their state's own interests. It's not the candidate who wins the state popular vote. It's the candidate who wins the national popular vote. So let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Let's say you live in Kansas. And Kansas says, you know, we're going to go with this national popular vote interstate compact. And let's say Donald Trump wins Kansas. But let's say Hillary Clinton won the national vote thanks to California and New York. Well, then Kansas would be obliged to throw its electoral college votes to Hillary Clinton. Look at the power, California especially, even more than New York. Look at the power, all blue, one-party state, California would have over the entire country. That's how bogus this is. The interstate combat. 
would snap into place only when the number of member states adds up to 270 electoral votes. The total required under the Electoral College to win the presidency. And they're about two-thirds of the way there. We could find no conservative institutional donors to this organization. Scott Walter, president of the Capital Research Center, told the Daily Signal. Did Charles Koch write a personal check? We don't know, but we found 16 instances of grants from institutional donors, and none were conservative. And there's no evidence Koch did either. American presidents never have been elected by a strictly popular vote across the nation. In presidential elections since 1804, under the 12th Amendment to the Constitution, voters actually vote for electors who are pledged to support their candidate in a later electoral college vote. And proponents contend this system ensures that every state, no matter how small, has a voice. But more than that, it ensures that one or two states don't have the power to control the outcome of an election. And that matters, doesn't it? Now, the last state to sign on to this was Colorado. Another major donor to this effort, to this compact, was the Sandler Foundation, which contributed $100,000 in 2010. The organization's 2015 filing with the Internal Revenue Service shows it gave millions to liberal groups, including the Center for American Progress, the American Criminal Liberties Union, Earth Justice, California, and the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities. The Sandler Foundation did not respond to inquiries from the Daily Signal for the story. The Tides Foundation, a major funder of left-leaning causes, contributed $25,000 to the popular vote group in 2009, and that group has donated to the ACLU Foundation, the Center for American Progress, Media Matters for America, the Sierra Club, Planned Parenthood, and on and on and on. The Soros-backed group, Open Society Foundation, has given millions to the Tides Foundation. This is how they wash their money, you see. According to the Capital Research Center, the Tides Foundation did not respond to increase from the Daily Signal. This is pretty shocking, isn't it, Mr. Producer? Oh, it's just a popular movement of people who want fairness, count the vote, transparency. The bulk of the group's budget doesn't come from other organizations, said Saul Anuzis, former chairman of Michigan's Republican Party and longtime GOP operative who advised Ted Cruz's 2016 campaign. As for the funding, two individuals have put up over 95% of all the money. Anunes, a national spokesman for the effort, told the Daily Signal, a liberal progressive, John Coza, and a conservative pro-life tax protester, Tom Golasano. My guess is several hundred others have given to one of the organizations behind the effort. COSA, let's see here. COSA is chairman of the National Popular Voting. He's a California businessman who was an inventor of the scratch-off lottery ticket. He then marked, marketed the idea to states, similar to what he's doing with the Popular Vote Compact. Coase has been a donor to Democratic candidates in federal elections. Politico reported that Coase spent $14 million promoting the popular vote compact among states by 2014, that he planned to budget $2 million per year from then on. John Coase regularly maxes out on donations to Democratic candidates, and he has not been an insignificant Democratic donor says the Capitol Research Center. It's on the record saying that the re-election of George W. Bush in 2004 inspired him 
to be such a donor. And he contributed the maximum amount of money to House Speaker Pelosi, Representative Keith Ellison, Chris Murphy of Connecticut, re-election campaigns of Bernie Sanders, uh, Lincoln Chafing, the uh, Democrat now of, uh, of Rhode Island, to the Hillary Clinton campaign, uh, checks for tens of thousands to the DNC, and on and on and on. So just so you know, it goes on, this article. I'm not going to read it all. This is a Democrat left-wing effort by millionaires and billionaires to change the election process. Just thought you ought to know. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. What am I doing, Rich? What would I do without Mr. Producer? I'm sure you've heard by now about the interview with former FBI Director Andrew McCabe. Well, if you haven't, where have you been? Well, he launched a coup. Remember that? He confessed to a coup. We talked a lot lot on Levin TV and Blaze TV, but I'm going to tell you why I think you should sign up for Blaze TV. It's the only place you can go to watch Levin TV and Eric Bowling and Phil Robertson, and Andrew Wilkow, and um, who else? Glenn Beck. We have wonderful, wonderful hosts with different personalities, some of whom you agree with, some of whom you don't, but we're all conservatives. And we have fundamental agreements and some disagreements. But it's fun. It's substantive. It's entertaining. It's not them at CNN. It's not them and MSNBC. We don't pretend to be something we're not. We're patriotic Americans. We care about the future of this country. We embrace the Constitution. We embrace individual liberty. You've said for years now, where can I go to watch programming that's truthful, that undergirds our principles, that's wholesome, We created it for you, ladies and gentlemen. We started with Levin TV, and it was so popular, we expanded it into a network. We called it CRTV. Then CRTV and Blaze TV merged. So we become big and strong and can compete against these cable TV channels, against network TV channels, against Netflix, against all of them. They're very, very wealthy. They're very, very big. And the only thing that keeps us afloat. And I might add, vigorously so, the only thing is you. It's you. It's not advertisers. It's you. This is direct media democracy at work. Participatory media. That's what it is. And so we are blazing a brand new show, a brand new format. This is a pioneering effort. Now it's worked so far for three years. And I want to strongly encourage you to join us because we don't give up. Here's what you do. You go to blazetv.com and use promo code LEVIN. The promo code is crucial. It's less than eight bucks a month. Less than eight bucks a month. And many of you have to prioritize your spending. That's why we've made it as low as possible. Or you can give us a call at 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV. Join us. We have a great time. People who sign up really, really enjoy it. 
Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, Amazon.com, Unfreedom of the Press, or Barnes & Noble, or any of the other wonderful sites out there where you can order a book. But we want you to pre-order it as quickly as possible. Unfreedom of the Press. God bless you. We'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811, on this day, we were able to finally announce the uh, the title of my new book, Unfreedom of the Press, and it is available now online. It'll be in retail stores on May 21. That's really what, three and a half weeks from now? What is it? No, that's not right. About uh, seven and a half weeks from now, something like that, seven weeks from now. But anyway... You can get your copy immediately, pre-order that is, pre-order that is, on Amazon.com or any of the other sites. I want to tell you a little story. And this is in the book. I want to tell you about the New York Times. The New York Times was purchased by the current family, Ox Sulzberger, uh, in the 1860s. And... uh, the original owner, the great-great-grandfather, the current owner, or the current figurehead, Sulzberger, he says, you know, I, I want to change the way news is done. I want it to be fact-based. This is a period of, you had Hearst and others uh, who were fairly flamboyant. And they built this reputation. It had been a failing newspaper, and he bought it. And uh, this this phrase, all the news that's uh, fit to print, uh, is still on its masthead. It's still on its masthead. And so it would become this sort of iconic news operation as an example to other news operations and how to conduct news. About 60 years later, give or take, There was a man who worked for the New York Times who was the 
top correspondent in Moscow. And he would report, as a journalist, the information about what was going on in Moscow. He was there for 12 years. He was a big celebrant of the communist revolution. He was a socialist in many ways. And he had a lot of clout with New York Times management, the executives there. For 12 years, he reported on Russia. And his name was Walter Durante. For 12 years. Some people speculate that he was actually paid off by Stalin because he lived a very high lifestyle. And he would have limousines of various sorts taking him to different places. And he ate at very nice places such as they were in Russia. He was treated with, you know, kid gloves, with with real, uh, he was treated specially. Now, Stalin, as you know, was a brutal, genocidal dictator. They're having a little problem with the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians wanted to be Ukrainians. And the peasants, generations of peasants, one to the next, had little plots of land where they would farm, where they would grow stuff for themselves and their neighbors. Well, Stalin comes in and they have this idea, much like uh, Cortez, which is no, no, agriculture will be dictated from Moscow. Uh, You're to give up all your private property, give up all the farms, you're to give it to the state. You will become laborers. You will work on the farms. You will grow what we tell you to grow. You will work as long as we tell you to work. And you will live where we tell you to live. Well, these Ukrainians, these are tough people. And many of these peasants said, no, we're actually not going to do that. Stalin tried with his military to kill as many of them as he could. But there are just too many of them. Now, Ukraine, obviously, was was the biggest area that Russia had annexed, the most populated area. And you can see, even in modern times, what takes place with Russia trying to bully the Ukraine. So Stalin decided what he would do is cut off the Ukraine. All food, all water, all routes, all transportation that he would starve them rather than waste bullets that he would starve them and he starved them women, children, old men everybody and they died by the millions there were some reporters a couple of reporters in particular who worked for the Manchester Guardian, British newspaper, including a gentleman by the name of Muggeridge. He started out as sympathetic to the communists. He was a socialist. He would later become a conservative and a capitalist because of what he witnessed in, the, in, the, uh, in Russia. And uh, he and a younger reporter at a different time, well, they snuck into the Ukraine to see what was taking place. They were horrified. People literally starving to death in the streets. 
cannibalism, cannibalism. Solzhenitsyn was in the gulag in Siberia. He said he heard about what was taking place in the Ukraine. The people in the Ukraine were trying to get into the gulag in Siberia to eat, to eat anything, to eat anything. He said many of them would wind up every night at the gates of the camp he was in. Starving to death, trying to get in. Imagine trying to break into the gulag. An estimated 10 million Ukrainians in the period of a little over a year starved to death. That's a lot of people. Walter Durante reporting for the New York Times, what did he report? Almost nothing. Walter Durante knew it was taking place. There are many eyewitnesses who said that he effectively knew it was taking place. And he would write news articles suggesting otherwise or downplaying it. Always favorable to Stalin, always favorable to the system. It's a new system. He's the one that coined the phrase, sometimes you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet. That came from him. Apparently 10 million eggs, 10 million lives in the Ukraine. The New York Times covered it up. The New York Times covered it up. They supported Durante, even though the executives there had reason to believe that he wasn't telling them the truth. But they had access to Stalin. They had access to the power center in Russia. Durante would go on to receive the Pulitzer Prize. The Pulitzer Prize for his reporting about the Ukraine. Muggeridge would later say he's the biggest liar in world history. The biggest liar in world history. The New York Times has never apologized for that reporting, even though it knows clearly today what took place. Even though they know today that Durante was a liar and a propagandist for Stalin. The Ukrainian community and others have demanded that the Pulitzer Prize Committee take back its Pulitzer Prize. They've demanded that the New York Times give it back. The New York Times says, well, it's not really ours to give back. Mr. Sulzberger has never apologized. This is one horrific example of the New York Times. All the news that's fit to print. The paper of record got it wrong. Worse was a propaganda page for Stalin and the Russians. Now, any other industry, any other business that had conducted itself that way, you know, even if you say they were incompetent as opposed to intentional in what, what took place in terms of their reporting, 
They betrayed millions and millions of human beings. The American people had no idea what was taking place there, thanks mostly to the New York Times. New York Times has the resources, as it does today, to have correspondents all over the world. So the New York Times was looked upon as the leading newspaper, and the leading newspaper lied. And they won't give back the Pulitzer Prize. And they've never apologized. They lied. They covered up. They self-censored. This story is more elaborately explained with endnotes in my new book, Unfreedom of the Press. It's time we really know who these people are, and it's time we really know what these institutions are. These secrets can be secrets no longer. I talk about the Washington Post and some of its conduct. More on the New York Times and its conduct. What they report on, what they don't report on, that makes a huge difference in this world and in the lives of real human beings. This isn't just a political debate about the media. This is about the debate of the survival of freedom in this country. We need a vibrant, truly free press. An honest press. A truly transparent press. We don't have that in many respects in our country. There's some, but they're the exception to the rule. When you watch this Washington Correspondence Dinner where the reporters show up, when they're indulging themselves on three-course, five-course meals, where they're dressed in tuxedos and evening gowns, where they spend a couple of hundred bucks on their hairdos and their haircuts and they got their shiny shoes and this, that, and the other. They don't represent America. Most of them live and report around Washington, D.C., New York City, and Los Angeles. That's what they know. That's who they are. That's how they missed the Trump election. That's why they despise Trump supporters. This is one small story, one small example that you'll find in my new book. But I just wanted to give you a little taste of what's in the book. And I hope you'll pre-order it right away. Unfreedom of the Press. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. you folks a question in that one story I told you about involving the Ukraine and genocide, Walter Durante in the New York Times. Tell me, was the New York Times the enemy of the people then? Well, what would you call it if it's not? Here's the thing. When you feel a truly unique position, a public trust in many respects, with particularized constitutional protection under the First Amendment, (coughs) freedom of the press, undergirded by various court decisions. And you use that position in such a grotesquely unconscionable way. You are the enemy of the people. 
you the enemy of free speech or the enemy of freedom of the press? What is the purpose of freedom of the press? It's to inform the American people about what's taking place in this country and in the world. It's one thing to be fallible, because we're all fallible. It's one thing to be imperfect. I know of nobody who is perfect. I know of no institution that's perfect, especially me. The issue is, what do you pursue? Not whether you're perfect. What do you pursue? Are you pursuing the news? Are you pursuing information so you can relay that to the, inf- uh, to the uh, American people? Or are you not pursuing that? Are you instead substituting it with ideology, propaganda, so forth and so on? When you're doing that, you're destroying the institution of the press. When you look at the media today, let's, let's just take a look. When you look at CNN today, where do these various anchormen and anchorwomen come from? Who are they? They sit in very, very important positions. I'm not talking about those who are clearly opinion people. That's not what we're talking about, which obviously is conflated over there at CNN. But these people have very, very powerful positions. They're not elected. They're not there because they're particularly smart. But they've done something profound. I mean, look at Stelter, look at Don Lemon, look at Chris Cuomo. Many of them get these positions because of their names, who they are, their connections, their social circles. Who knows? Who knows? There's really no particularized qualifications to be a newsman on CNN. In fact... Another part of the point, I put by a book, I point out all the connections between these various newsrooms and Democrat politics. The Obama administration, the Clinton administration, the Hillary Clinton campaign, Capitol Hill. Now, there's some of this on the Republican side, but nothing, nothing anywhere close to what goes on on the Democrat side. Nothing. Is that a mistake? Is that an error? Or is that intentional? That people can seamlessly move in and out of journalism and democratic politics? It's not a coincidence. They reinforce each other. That's what they do. Well, you know, Mark, uh, just because they work for Democrats and so forth doesn't mean they can't be objective news people. It doesn't mean they can't be. It's just that the vast majority of them aren't. Most of them aren't Tim Russert. Most of them are like Brian Stelter or Don Lemon or Chris Cuomo or Andrea Mitchell and so forth and so on. They don't even make an effort. You pay more attention to the qualifications of a plumber, an electrician, a mechanic, a builder, qualifications of a chef, you name it people who work out there, professionals and otherwise, you pay more attention to their credentials or their ratings on a particular rating site than you do or that we have access to when it comes to journalists. I'll be right back. The Constitution Man, Mark Levin. 
Call him now at 877-381-3811. By the way, Smollett, people don't know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Prosecutor's a left-wing hack. She was lobbied by left-wing hacks, including somebody who formerly served in the Obama administration. And she fixed the outcome of this case. It's that simple. It's that simple. She, uh, she decided that this guy would not be prosecuted. That's what happened. And then he gets on his high horse and says, you know, not a drop of blood in me that would have done what I was accused of doing and so forth and so on. And he's getting out of town as fast as he can. He left his $10,000 behind on his bond. He, you know, he just got out. So that's it. I'm out of here. They probably told him, get the hell out of here and don't talk. After you do your initial, uh, I was always great and I was always innocent. So Jesse Smollett, who was accused of faking this racist crime. And, you know, to believe him means you have to disbelieve all the other witnesses. You have to ignore all the videotape that existed on the streets. And so this prosecutor, this Cook County state prosecutor, undermined the police force. You saw the police superintendent as an African-American. Undermine the mayor, and off she goes. You see what happened in Baltimore. In that case, when the mayor and the prosecutor did what they did, crime is now through the roof. People have suffered as a result, and they're never held to account. I don't care about politically. They're never held to account. And this prosecutor won't be held to account either. We didn't exonerate him, Assistant State Attorney Joe Maggots. That's a good name, Maggots. Told the Times reporter, Chicago Times, Julie Bossman. No. We work to prioritize violent crimes and the drivers of violent crimes, maggots told the Times. Public safety is our number one priority. I don't see Jesse Smollett as a threat to public safety. We stand behind the investigation. We stand behind the decision to charge him. And we stand behind the charges in the case. The mere fact that it was disposed of in an alternative manner does not mean that there were any problems or infirmities in the case of the evidence. You look at this guy, Epstein in California, who got this ridiculous deal. You look at this guy, Smollett, who got this ridiculous deal. One's white, one's black. So why did they get these ridiculous deals? Because it's who you know in these cases. It's who you know. Let me tell you something, maggots. What you did here was undermine the rule of law and the cause of justice. You had a high-profile case where an individual faked, faked a racist attack on himself. And you told the whole world that's okay. That's the problem. You didn't listen to what your police commissioner or supervisor had to say. So the prosecutors went in a different direction. I'm telling you, all this stuff, when you look at the senior levels of the FBI, the senior levels of the Department of Justice, when you look at these FISA court judges... Now, when you look at what took place in Baltimore, you look at what takes place in Chicago, people are losing confidence in the justice system because of these politicians 
and these other individuals who abuse it. Who abuse it. You know, whether you got a five-mile commute or you're road-tripping across the country, you want to feel secure behind the wheel. That's why you need extended vehicle protection from CarShield. Now, CarShield makes the process of fixing your car for a cover repair very easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work. It's your choice. They also provide 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. And that's for free. The assistance in the road in the rental car. If your car is five thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand miles, that doesn't mean you have to pay high repair bills. Car Shield administrators have paid out close to two billion dollars in claims, and they're ready to help you save yourself thousands of future car repairs. Get covered by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection, like I did. Call their new toll free number. Ready? Eight hundred car six thousand. Couldn't be simpler. 800-CAR-6000, mention code LEVIN, or visit carshield.com, carshield.com, use code LEVIN, that's L-E-V-I-N. Either way, call or website, you get 10% off if you use my name. 800-CAR-6000, mention code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, or visit carshield.com, use code LEVIN to save 10%. A deductible may apply. All right. Let's see what's out there on the uh, phones out here. Uh, let us go to uh, Rich, Sparta, Michigan, the great WKZO. Go. Hey, Mark. 48 hours from now, I will be in Van Andel Arena in downtown Grand Rapids welcoming Donald Trump to conservative West Michigan. And you know who will not be there is our representative, Justin Amash, because he doesn't like Donald Trump. But we'll see if we can get a primary challenger for him in a few months. You know, I, I understand he's a libertarian and so forth, but the Constitu- I'm a constitutionalist. And while I am libertarian on a number of issues, particularly economic issues, where the Constitution leaves it mostly to us under the Commerce Clause, we the people, um, I just feel like in this instance, he and Massey of Kentucky are dead wrong. Dead wrong on the separation of powers issue. Dead wrong on the power of the commander-in-chief. Dead wrong about the open borders. And uh, a a lot of this is the Koch brothers, who are open borders types. I'm quite serious about this. I'm not conspiratorial about it. You can see a couple of conservatives in the Senate who voted the wrong way on this. They go to the Koch brothers' events that are held two, three times a year. They are very much celebrated there. And the Koch brothers... Very much disapprove of Donald Trump and very much disapprove of what he's trying to do to secure the border. Yes, and Amash is always wrong on immigration. He's soft on it. Mm-hmm. Because but, he's a radical libertarian. Look, yep. but even even Milton Friedman, who we miss greatly in this country, iconic, he was all for open borders. He said, but you cannot have open borders. You cannot have liberalized immigration when you have a massive welfare state. You'll destroy the economy and you'll destroy the society. Amen. Well, why doesn't he listen to that? Because he's, he's a weirdo. All right. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. Let's continue, shall we? Yes, we can. Laura, Sunbury, North Carolina, XM Satellite. Go. Hi, Mark. I am. I could not agree with you more on the reporters 
the magazines. But I'm going to tell you, those that covered up what happened in the Ukraine, they've got blood on their hands, just like the even in current times, the ones that aren't reporting the, the cover-ups, they're just as guilty. But we had the opportunity. I think I was 50 when I took my first trip to the Ukraine. We had saved the money for me to have spending money to go shopping over in Kiev. But one of our stopping points was the Holocaust Museum. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I and a group of other um, Americans that were with us went through that museum. And when I got to the part where the hanging empty picture frames were hanging from the um, ceiling, mm-hmm. and then I looked to my left and I saw the gloves that were made from the, literally from the skin of the Ukrainians, mm-hmm. I was done. I could not finish going through the museum. I went back the next year, tried it again. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying to my husband, why were we not taught this in history? When we were mm-hmm. taught about all about the war and what happened with Stalin, why were we not taught what truly happened? And one thing you didn't mention that was done to the Ukraine, they took, actually took out the soil, the deep, rich topsoil where that was taken out in train car loads. So they could not even grow potatoes or anything in their garden. Mm-hmm. He didn't let he he wasn't even going to let them grow their own vegetable garden. Well, you know, Laura, when you read this book, you're going to hear a lot more about this and also what happened shortly thereafter. Not only did the New York Times deceive the American people in the world on what was going on in the Ukraine, it did the same thing with the Holocaust. I'm not going to get into that now. You know, when the book is out, we'll get into more detail. I've touched on it in a very superficial way over the course of about two years. But I want to get into it very, very deeply. This newspaper has a lot to answer for. The idea that so-called journalists all over the country, that they they would do anything to work for the New York Times is really quite shocking. And once you understand the history of the New York Times, oh, I know the New York Times has done some great reporting, but that does not excuse this, which is absolutely horrendous and unconscionable, which they have never really accepted, uh, which is why they don't accept their misreporting and their deceptions when it comes to Trump. They don't care. That's small change compared to the uh, you know Ukrainian Holocaust and the, uh, and the Jewish Holocaust. And how they got two massive genocides wrong and self-censored is really astonishing that this newspaper still exists. Its reporters go on TV and they go on about Donald Trump and they go on about a dictator and Hitler and Stalin and they and others. And they go on about how his comments are dictatorial when he talks about the enemy of the press. Are they kidding That's why I think this book is so important. I want to inform as many of my fellow Americans, all of you in my audience as possible, about the truth, about the history, so you can know exactly what we're dealing with. Laura, I appreciate your your wonderful call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
You know, HHS Secretary Alex Azar's socialist plan for price controls on drugs, Now we've talked about his plan before on this show, he's not giving up. You know how I know this is a bad plan? Because Bernie Sanders and the other Democrats running for president in 2020, they also support the Azar plan. But here's what Bernie Sanders and the Democrats won't tell you about socialism. Socialized countries severely restrict which drugs patients get access to. They treat chron- Whether they treat chronic or life-threatening conditions, it doesn't matter. According to a study in the Wall Street Journal, if you get cancer in the U.S., you'll have access to 95% of the cancer treatment drugs that they studied. If you get cancer in a socialist regime, price-controlled regime like Greece, good luck. You have access to 8% of cancer treatment drugs and not the cutting-edge stuff. You see the difference? A new wonder drug? Forget it. The socialists may not let you have access to it for years, if ever. Because of socialism, European investment in bioresearch has all but dried up. Socialism doesn't bring new medical discoveries. It drives them away. So you don't get access to current medical drugs and so forth. And there are few, if any, new medical discoveries. That's what in our future, if this goes on. The Democrats for Socialized Medicine are not telling you the whole story, now are they? But you can get all the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com, TrueHealthCareFacts.com. That's TrueHealthCareFacts.com. Arm yourself with the facts. And also, have solace in knowing that you're right. You're right to reject socialism. It doesn't save people. It doesn't help people. It does the opposite. When you hear Bernie Sanders go on and on, Hey, we got to lower prices and everybody should have access to free district. He's a kook. He's a Marxist. Get the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com. That's TrueHealthCareFacts.com. All right. Let's see who's here. By the way, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm curious to see whether late tonight or early in the morning, you, my beloved audience, you managed to move Unfreedom of the Press into the top 10 books on Amazon by pre-ordering, by early ordering. Because that'll make a statement. It'll make a statement to the press. It'll make a statement to the broader public that you care about this. This is a big deal. And that you plan to learn more about what goes on in the media, who they are, what they're up to, and that we're going to have a national dialogue about this. We can't allow this to go on without confronting it. And I mean that. So I'll be curious to see how curious you folks are. I think you're very curious. If you're thinking about getting it, now's the time to do it. The earlier, the better. Because when it does come out on May 21st and available on retail stores, I want you to have it in your hands because we're going to hit the ground running as we always do. My books don't disappoint. And this one especially. I think this will remind you of Liberty and Tyranny more than any other book I've written. And Liberty and Tyranny was a big deal. Uh, We worked in concert with the Tea Party. I think we need that kind of a citizen revolution to get our media back. I don't mean they have to agree with us, but to get our newsrooms back. To take it from this relatively small ideological sect that thinks that they own the First Amendment and freedom of the press. Well, they don't. And that's what unfreedom of the press is all about. Get it on Amazon.com or 
any other link out there, Barnes and Noble and so forth. Um, and you can pre-order it right now. Unfreedom of the press. Brendan, Johnstown, Ohio, Sirius Satellite. How are you? I'm fine, Mark. How are you doing, sir? Lovely. Thank you. Reason why I wanted to call, I wanted to point out uh, one thing that I don't think anyone's talking about in terms of uh, doing away with the Electoral College. Mm -hmm. The whole reason for having that Electoral College is to make sure that the the majority doesn't steamroll the minority in Mm -hmm. in an electoral fashion. Well, the same thought that our founding fathers put into that is the same thought that they put into... Uh, the rules for the Senate by having two senators from every state to make sure that the larger states don't steamroll the smaller states. We, we've, like- we've talked about that. And if there's and I've pointed out if there's no reason for the Electoral College, there's uh, very little reason for the United States Senate. So the only thing I think that uh, the Dems will do when they stumble upon that is they'll, I think, try to turn the Senate into a popularity contest like the way it is in the House. Well, they already have. That's why we have direct election of senators. I think their next move, maybe 20, 30 years from now, is to turn this uh, constitutional republic into a parliamentary-type system where the, if, the, if the politics moves heavily in one direction, they can go ahead and nationalize everything they want to nationalize. When the politics swings back, it's, again, very difficult to undo these things. Just keep in mind, everything they want to do is to take out the checks and balances that is, the obstacles to centralized government that are in our Constitution. They want to get rid of it. They want rule of the mob, and in the end, they want the mob to report to an iron fist. That's the bottom line. This is how the hard radical left works, whether they call themselves communists, democratic socialists, uh, or progressives. That's the mindset. You use the mob to get power, and then you control the mob by separating the mob into ethnic groups, income groups, age groups, religious groups, whatever kind of groups, you have them fighting with each other, uh, but then you treat them as a mass in order to uh, gain and retain power. And it's, it's not even about pure democracy. Pure democracy or purer democracy is the road to centralized tyranny. That is the opposite of what it preaches. Anyway... A little heavy for the last minute or two here. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Ladies and gentlemen, now's the time to pre-order. I don't mean to be pushing this so hard, but this is very important. Unfreedom of the press. Go get it, and I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.